Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. UFC uh, Fight Night Home versus Buena Silva, UFC Vegas 77, UFC uh, LFA. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. We're talking about the prelims right now. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's not really very interesting, honestly. The main card wasn't very interesting. The prelim card is less interesting. Speak for yourself, Sam. Yeah, no. We had a break between recording sessions. I went under the sink. I found a bunch of bottles of stuff. I don't know what it was, but it was bright colored. It must have been candy. And I'm now very interested in these fights. (laughs) <laughs> everything's sparkling <laughs> my vision is fading and I can't wait to talk about uh, hold on let me pick the worst <laughs> one <laughs> I looked and nothing jumped out as the bad one which I can't wait to talk about Evan Elder versus Gennaro Valdez that's or that's right Alexander Munoz versus Carl Deaton the third <laughs> these prelims suck ass Oh, boy. Yeah. Our featured prelim featured being a very loosely applied, generous term is a featherweight bout between Tucker Lutz and Melsic Bogdasarian. Um, Both men coming off a loss. Yep. That's a theme for the card. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Lutz... um, Lutz having lost a little bit of it. Both men having lost a little of their luster, it must be said. Their Lut, their Lutster. The Lutster, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know how much luster I ever particularly thought either of them had, to sure. be honest. Um, Lutz, at least, I, I was more impressed with him in his UFC debut than I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, yeah, you know what? This guy, like, he looks hilarious. <laughs> He's, like, got these stumpy little arms. He's just, like, a little brick. Um, but he's actually pretty crafty and, like, uh, even has some good timing and can put some decent combinations together with his strikes as well as being this little tank wrestler guy. Yeah, he, he's got a he's got a pretty modern look at a WrestleBoxers game of having a pretty competent... Mm-hmm. Pressure, pressure boxing game that focuses on work on, in combination on the inside, and then will lead him into some solid double legs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he tends to, uh, you know, he doesn't um, allow people to get away with clean strikes on him, which is something I always like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, it can get him into trouble, but he is always trying to 
what you probably should do if you have short arms. His arms aren't as short as uh, who's the other guy, the really short armed wrestler, AJ Fletcher. He's not as short as AJ Fletcher. Yeah, he's uh, oh. he's more just got like no torso to speak of kind of frame. But um, yeah, I like the fact that he makes the most of his range when he gets it, mm-hmm. uh, even if it me- if it's initiated by someone else hitting him. Um, and Mel Sickback to Sari and I have never been particularly impressed with because he's long range kick man. Yeah. It's not a style a very, that mm-hmm. he's got a very flash style that, uh, you know, it, it's not, it, it's, he's, he's a good athlete. It's, it's powerful. So it's not yeah, yeah. terrible, but the connective tissue to it is pretty weak. Precisely. Which is why those guys never grab me. Yeah. Um, right off the bat, because I see an opponent essentially consenting to stay at their range. And they just get to, like, periodically throw something at him. And maybe the something connects, maybe not. But either way, this works basically until they meet somebody who's like, wait, kicks aren't real distance management tools. Yeah. I can go through the kick. I can step in when you kick. And um, even against uh, uh, our boy Josh Kulabau, he didn't particularly test that aspect of Bagdasarian's game. He didn't really uh-huh. probe those weaknesses. He kind of just let him have his kicking range yep. and waited to counter one, which resulted in a knockdown, well, a, you know, a takedown knockdown, mm-hmm. sort of your punch knee tap classic MMA move, and then an instantaneous submission. So even there, I didn't really... I feel I learned a lot about Bogdasarian. Kulabau just got a very great opportunity and took advantage uh-huh. of it. Um, which way is Tucker Lutz going to go? I think that's really the question here. Is he going to feel like, uh-oh, this guy's huge. I should stay back and back into the fence. He's not that insistent on pressuring to, uh, to make me feel comfortable, really comfortable picking him in a fight like this. Yeah. Um, he didn't insist. only two inches taller, but has an actual, is that a two inch reach disadvantage? Interestingly. Wow. He fights yeah. a lot longer. I'll he say does. that. Uh, and he's going to be using primarily his legs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you what I do expect to happen. And I poke. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that it's happened yet, but Bogdasarian frequently fires a kick out there and then just jams his fingers straight out because he's like, Oh, don't counter me. Yeah. Um, Tucker Lutz is going to try to crash in when he gets kicked, and there's going to be an eye poke sooner or later. It does seem actually like a fight really set up. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I I just, uh, what else does Bogdasarian have? I just can't pick guys like this. I just don't trust his game to function outside of this one very narrow slice. All Lutz has to do, it seems is either pressure or just refuse to give kicks for free. Yeah. Get kicked and just crash in on those kicks. Even if you're going to allow him to have the initiative, I think Lutz can do that. So I'm going to pick him. Yeah. The problem for Lutz really is that he doesn't have a submission game. Right. Or hasn't at all to date. So it may be one of those cases where, you know, he has to, he spends a lot of time way out at range trying to figure out how to get in on Bogdasarian. 
and then occasionally gets an opportunity like the one that Kulabau took. Sure. But doesn't have the the ability to end the fight with that opportunity. So he's, you know, mm-hmm. if he's going to go back and settle back to a ranged kickboxing game again later down the road, is he winning rounds where, mm-hmm. you know, where he's having that kind of fight? Yeah. But you don't just have to give the rounds to Bogdasarian like Kulabau did. No. You do. There is no good reason to just let him kick you for free and spend all that time trying to figure out how do I defend this? How do I punish it is a much better way to do that. Even better than that, don't let him do it. Just stay in his face. Yeah. That's how you beat a dude like Bob Kassarian. That's why I don't trust these, these types of fighters because, as you said at the top, there, there does not appear to be any connective tissue. It is one idea at a time, all of which are heavily reliant on getting a pretty precise slice of range. Yeah, no, it's true. It's, it, you know, I will say I think his cool about fight, he, it showed a little bit more uh, connectivity to his punching, where he was keeping Kulabau off and then firing punches when Kulabau got close with with more insistency. Sure. Than he has in the past. Um. But yeah, it really. <laughs> it's not a it's not a great fight to have to call mm-hmm. honestly just because Lutz is it's not you know his game is it's very much I guess it's a it's a, it's a lot like a uh, team alpha male game yeah where he's dipping into the pocket he might create a takedown but he's not creating he's not insistent on creating a lot of control out of that takedown. It's not a like clean, oh, I got you to my preferred area and now I'm just going to really yeah. outgrapple you and really make things hard on you for the rest of the fight. It's like, oh, okay, well, I got you down. Let's get back. You know, you're going to get up, you're going to scramble and we'll we'll start this all over again. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think what Lutz really wants to do is nail somebody with a perfect punch. I mean, I think yeah. that's, yeah. People complain I mean, about uh, about control wrestlers and grapplers, and me too. I'm one of them because it's boring. But uh, you kind of got to appreciate the fact that of uh, MMA is not a sport where the majority of fighters invest in, like, keeping their opponent out of the fight. Yeah. And that is a that is a style which is all about that. And so so many fights that I pick incorrectly, it's because I assume that somebody can stick to a strategy which denies their opponent advantages, especially matchups like this, where it's like Bakhtisarn only has like one or two advantages. Like it's pretty straightforward to just not let him have the fight he needs to have. But it's. You may be right. I don't know that Lutz... I'm probably just being optimistic. Like, I don't know that Lutz is actually capable of staying in the range he needs to be in to make... to to prevent Bogdasarian from just periodically kicking him really hard. Yeah. I think I'm going to pick Bogdasarian. Yeah, that's making more sense the more I think about it, but I'll stick with my pick, because who cares? Yeah, it's just the speed and power and Lutz's insistence on you know, kind of rinse and repeating the fight that yeah. 
You know what? I care. I'm going to pick Bogdasarian too. I changed my mind. <laughs> I'm just, I do this all the time. I'm like, Lutz, it's right there, buddy. Yeah. You just got to do this. And, uh, you know, I haven't seen a fight where Tucker Lutz is methodically controlling the range on somebody. So, yeah, fair enough. Lutz opened at plus 163 and was rocking around my, plus 182 up until uh, two days ago when he dropped from plus 182 to plus 142. So some money coming in on, on Lutz these past couple days. Bogdasarian opened at minus 213 and was hit minus 206 on July 10th and is now at minus 158. So that line is closing in a hurry. Um, you know, maybe, maybe something to watch there or just did an update art, brief update articles, no real update to it about the whole James Krause thing. So lines, yeah. a, a big swing on a line like Lutz or, uh, what was the other one? Was it? Yeah. The Atman Azaitar line mm -hmm. where, you know, you're looking at like plus 104 a day ago and now minus 102. Yeah, and it's just all on one big move. That, that, Isn't like that was... the FBI getting involved in this shit mm -hmm, now? Mm -hmm. You know what that means? What? James Krause is innocent. <laughs> he was set up. They made him place those bets. It's true. It's true. My God, honey pot. Honey. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a woman's strawweight bout: Estela Nunes, Victoria Dudikova. And I really want good things for Estella Nunes. You know? Yeah, me too. I watch her fight, and you watch her for like three minutes, and you're like, man, mm -hmm. she is a violent fighter. She's got good form. She's got good timing. Even in her bout against, uh, oh, who what last time out? Uh, Yasmin uh, Haraguchi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, she was stuffing takedowns. All the pieces are there to be a really tough, tough fighter to beat. Especially in a division like Strawweight, where her kind of power is pretty rare. Mm -hmm. But she's currently stuck a bit in, like, I think she's stuck a bit in the Angela Hill situation. Mm-hmm. Where that took Hill so long to climb out of. The, her fights all have a pattern of getting harder for her as they go on. Yeah. She, her own style makes her tired. Yeah. Her own way of fighting takes the energy. This also, um, oh, Kim Elliott had the same problem mm -hmm. for a long time, where it's just like, Man, you are running. You you come out and everything is clicking and it all looks good. And then mm -hmm. three minutes later, you're like, okay, now you're flat footed and all the pep is out of your style. Yep. And she, she is another fighter who could stand to benefit from a little more positional thinking. Yeah. This is why MMA, because positional understanding takes time to develop, I think. And. This is why MMA is so defined by pace, because the yeah. easiest way to do what I was just talking about in the last fight, to keep your opponent's chances minimal, is to do way more than them. Yeah. And so for some people, that's just unsustainable. I mean, yep. for a lot of people, that's unsustainable. On the flip side, though, 
yeah, due to COVID here. Yeah. And it really is just, it's like a, watching a suction cup hit a window, you know? <laughs> like, it's just so clingy. And yeah. that's the whole game. Yep. You don't want to pick that over Nunez, I know. <laughs> I don't. It sucks. <laughs> I, because I know too that I think Nunez is going to be really good in this opening round. Like, yep. she is absolutely going to stop Dudikova from taking her down, and she is going to light her up. And I think I'm going to pick Nunez. Although, well, Dudikova does have several rear naked choke wins. Yep. But, like, there's so little damage to her game and so little ability to, you know, when she's on top of somebody, it's just, like, sitting in guard, no real threat. Like, she has to, she has to have found the back take somewhere before she gets to the mat because she's not going to pass and like mm-hmm. create a lot on the ground. It's a very uninventive grappling. And if she doesn't finish Nunez, then Nunez is going to be able to, you know, she's going to be able to do the more damage in every round. It's basically mm-hmm. what I feel. But, Maybe I should just pick Dudikova anyway. I think gonna, I probably... this is one where I have decided not to care, and I am going to pick Nunes because it's far more fun than the alternative. I'm just going to yeah. insist on being optimistic here and, and hope that Nunes improves. Dudikova's game is so limited. She's, yeah, she, but she's probably the right pick because again, the pattern in Nunes's fights is that she looks amazing in the first round. I don't yep. know, amazing, but she she looks, she looks very good, very promising. Good. Yeah, and then. Yeah, she gets tired. People just get more collisions and more tie-ups with her, and she just kind of drops out of the fight. But I don't care. I'm picking her. <laughs> I don't care. I do not like Dudakova's style at all. Yeah. Well, I'll pick Dudakova just to be in opposition to you. That's a good, a good as good a reason as any. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a style I like either, but uh, it's definitely one that she. You know, she's going to be insistent on it. And if she can be insistent on it for long term, then I don't know that Nunez can can fight her off. Yeah, no, I think that that pick makes more sort of strategic sense. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Austin Lingo, Melchizedek Costa. And... um, Yep. Yeah, this is an all right fight. Yeah, this one at least makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, two guys coming off losses, but like this is a reasonable yep. matchup for these two guys coming mm-hmm. off losses. Um, both were pretty heavily overmatched in their previous fights. They yeah. gave Costa to uh Tiago Moises and they yeah. gave uh Austin Lingo Nate Landwehr. Yeah. Um you know I like Austin Lingo, actually. I think he is a he's one of those fighters you should look to as a a testament to the coaching ability of Saif Saud. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because Austin Lingo should not be able to compete at the UFC level. He is physically not very good. He's, he's not super. I mean, he hits reasonably hard. That's the one thing he's got going for him, but he's like slow and clumsy. (laughs) He's not, he doesn't almost just doesn't have the baseline coordination to be more technical than he is. Mm -hmm. He's just kind of an awkward athlete. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got slow feet. And yeah, yeah, he's just a sort of a, I don't know, a slightly clumsy guy. Yeah, he's just, he's just not a natural athlete, you know? Exactly, yeah. And um, but what he has demonstrated multiple times in fights where he's like, even against low the lower level UFC fights, he's, he is physically outmatched, mm-hmm. is that he's, uh, he's like super coachable and listens to his corner advice and will stick to a basic game plan. He also works behind a jab. Yeah, he's 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 learned to work behind a jab a lot. This is something Saif Saud loves. You know, I'm not as impressed with him as uh, as enduringly as both of us are with like Henry Hooft as a coach. Yeah, but certainly in a like Mark Henry kind of way, he has Mm -hmm. like some basic things that all of his fighters need to understand. And if they don't understand it, this is like Henry Hooft. Boy, are they going to get chewed out from the corner? Yeah, he is going to be vocally disappointed in them. And outraged and like, uh, yeah, he wants people to keep, he wants people to punch in combinations. He wants them to use their jabs all the time. Mm-hmm. And he wants them to never give any strike away for free. Everything yep. should be punished. Like, these are very good, broad, strategic understandings on how to win rounds. Yeah. And uh, Austin Lingo understands these things. And as a result, he can get and has gotten into some really, really tough spots in his fights and just kind of hang tough and have something to fall back on. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. And so he just doesn't like crumble as much as you would expect that fight with Luis Saldana. He wasn't looking good. You know, he was, he was having a tough time at numerous points. I thought he was going to get finished and like, uh, yeah, he just like stays in his jab. He keeps looking for counters when people are pressuring him. He moves laterally, you know, not like super smoothly, but he doesn't just let himself get trapped easily. And he ended up pulling it out. Yeah. So I, I like Austin Lingo. And again, he's got enough power that what he can he can actually take advantage of some small opportunities and hurt mm-hmm. people um, given the chance. Yeah, no, he's he's got he's got big heavy hands. He's got some reasonable hand speed. It's just the lack of foot speed yeah. and general like you know, coordination fluidity is always gonna mean that it's all gonna be about situational awareness and uh keeping his tools sharp to yeah. stay in fights. So yeah, Fortis MMA is a good camp and I think Austin Lingo being a very mid tier fighter is a great testament to that. Yeah. And this is another fight where he's in there against somebody who I think is physically superior, uh-huh. um, but who is extremely messy. Yeah. That's Melchizedek Costa. Um, he was far, far too messy to do anything successful against Tiago Moises. Uh-huh. This is not... Uh, Austin Lingo wouldn't have lost to Tiago Moises exactly like that, is what uh-huh. I'm saying, despite being a worse athlete than Costa. Costa just was just guessing, taking huge swings, couldn't stop a single takedown. Just got taken down and got swamped on the ground. 
I do wonder, I mean, you know, part of that too with Costa is that he was taking that fight on. Like, it was on super short notice. Yeah. On like a day's notice or something. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's absolutely a factor too. And it's also, he's dropping down a division here. Interesting. So, yeah, it, you know, and Lingo is not likely to be a guy to physically overwhelm him with, you know, something like a takedown. Not that. No, absolutely not. Costa does, you know, his his spin, his willingness to spin and just throw exciting strikes mean that he's always going to put himself in danger of getting yeah, taken. No, yeah, I wasn't tr- wasn't trying to suggest that Lingo is going to out wrestle him. Just yeah, it's very indicative of Costa's sort of things just happen to him mm-hmm. in fights. He leaves a lot of opportunities on the table. Yeah, because you could also say too, for a guy who came in on one day's notice, he looked perfectly comfortable and like he was having the fight. He was happy to have you know he didn't he didn't look like somebody who had just come in on a day's notice yeah and was i don't hoping know and was... praying to do it to to get what they could done he looked like a guy who was coming in and being like oh yeah well i'll, I'll go out here and do what i know how to do and we'll see For what sure. happens yeah he it, i don't think it was the fight he wanted but no uh, but... he didn't look overawed no comfortable he just yeah he went in there and, and did what he does um so, yeah, it's just another one. I mean, his fights are hard to pick because Austin Lingo, like I said, he just shouldn't really be hanging around here, but he's been pretty successful yeah, uh, against everyone except, like, the actually good fighters he's had to fight. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how good Makizai Costa has to actually be to, uh, to, to win rounds, to pick rounds up on Austin Lingo. Yeah, it's tough because, I mean, Costa is like, he's a dude who's lost a lot of fights. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, a wild man. To not very good opponents. Yeah. Just because he, he, he will give opportunities away. Yeah. I, I just think you, you can, with the right game plan, you can just pick up rounds on him. He just, yeah, you said he just gives things for free. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Dare I make another optimistic pick and go for the, the schlubby normal guy in Austin Lingo? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Hmm. This is this is my want, Zane. I mean, I'm just giving yeah. in. There's nothing else to care about in this card. So I'm just giving in to my baser impulses to like pathetic losers. <laughs> so I'm taking Austin Linko because yes. I want him to succeed. Yeah, we want the normal dude to 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 go out there and and take it to the to the clearly athletically primed. Yeah. Like. Oh, this I get one to do I think, what I want. This, I think, is more realistic than picking Nunes over Dudakova, honestly. Yeah. Nunes is a much more talented fighter. I think that uh, Lingo has shown he can... Again, I, that, if I hadn't seen that Saldana fight, I'd be more doubtful. But that was a very hard fight for him. Yeah. Um, and he took... He showed that he's capable of taking a lot of punishment and still just doing the round-winning moves for 15 minutes. Um, yeah. he's going to be in there against a really big guy who's a better athlete. So yeah, that's the that's the thing for me is that Costa is he just does look like a really pretty good athlete. Um, yeah. I am going to you know what? Uh, it's not unrealistic though, right? It's not no, it's not at all. No, Lingo could not totally as good as he should be. <laughs> yeah, no, he's not. Uh, you know what? What the hell? I'll 
I'll go with I'll go with lingo with you. I'll, yeah, That's I'll right. stay on the train with you because I, I I I like him too, and I like what he's trying to do out there. I don't know that it'll work against Costa, but he'll have a he'll create a good opportunity for himself to win. That's this right, game. Normie gang. Uh, lingo opened at plus one forty eight. Is currently at plus one eighty. Costa opened at minus 166, is currently a minus 203. Odds have just slowly been trending in Costa's favor. So, not surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's certainly the fighter that if you watch a round of his, you're much more likely to be like, oh, wow, that guy's got something cool. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout. Jack Della Maddalena against some guy. Ooh. Basil Hafez. Jack must have wanted to have a fight, right? That's yes. the only reason that they were he, so insistent I mean, on just finding replacements. Well, and you got to think, too. Like, he flew across the entire goddamn world. That's true. That a is a full-on fight camp to get there and have his fight fall apart. That's true. That's like a 20-hour flight, folks. That's, yeah. a rough, that's a rough trip. So I think at that point... You know, he he had two opponents pull out, and it's just like, look, just get me a fight for next week so I can get paid, I can get my team paid, all that, and then, you know, he'll probably turn around. Assuming he doesn't get too beat up in this fight, he'll probably turn around and try to get on that Sydney card. Yeah. Just It is literally just a stay-busy fight. Yeah. Uh, t- that said, uh, Basil Hoffa is... is Interesting. He's an interestingly sure. uh, dangerous fighter. He's a better, I think he's a better signing, a more dangerous fight than Josiah Harrell. Sure. Um, Harrell, you know, really, A, had an absolutely tiny reach, but Harrell had a style that was all built around, um, and we kind of talked about this with, uh, oh, who was it? With Buena Silva. And somebody else, too. I can't remember. Uh But uh, Harold had a style that was all built around crashing the pocket and then just kind of seeing what happened. Like, oh, I'll just crash into you. You take me down. I take you down. I land shots. You land shots. We'll figure it out. But the important thing for me is that I'm crashing in. Mm-hmm. And you'll have to deal with me. And we saw Harold lose a lot, or in a lot of fights, or in a, a couple of fights where he just lost almost all the time until his opponent got tired. Yep. Uh, Hafez is not that guy. Hafez is much more. I am going to establish the edge of the pocket, and I am going to try and tee off with powerful two to three strike combinations. Everything's going to be thrown really hard. Uh, A lot of things will be looping, but it's going to be like a one-two body kick or, you know, a sharp jab and an uppercut and a low kick. And he doesn't move defensively at all in these Mm -hmm. situations. But the power is pretty clearly there. It's not super high output, even though he's throwing in combination. There's a lot of like, well, I'm just going to establish this range and try to keep it. And you're going to have to deal. It's going to be difficult for you because of the power I bring. 
right. not necessarily because of the volume I bring or because of the perfect technique or because of my ability to be defensive and slip shots. Yeah. And you know, that that's also, that's probably why I'm assuming he must be pretty durable because every loss he's ever had is pretty, you know, he's got like two split decisions and one very early decision loss. Cause he's fighting dudes that are willing to, have that fight with him and they'll land they're landing their own shots but he's he's got power and he's going to make himself felt in those in those fights and be hard to beat so that is more yeah I'm not I don't think it's a style made to build Jack Della Maddalena who is going to take uh Hafez into the third and fourth and fifth strike in those combinations and put and make him fight at pace and put him in positions where if he's going to establish that kind of fight, he's going to have to do it faster and to a, a greater technical depth than he's used to. Mm-hmm. But it's at least a fight that Hafez is much more, I think, set to try and manage than somebody like Harold, who just would oh, yeah. be totally lost in that kind of bout. That's true. I'm not going to pick him. No, absolutely I'm not. not. I'm not going to pick him either. But it is, you know, it, it is an interesting. Uh, I think Hafez will have some opportunities and might even land a couple of big shots early in this fight before he gets the screws put to him in a to a point that he just probably gets too tired to keep up. Yeah, and starts yeah. getting really tagged up. Or maybe just gets crushed by something. Yeah, he might just get crushed too. I mean, the th- the thing with with Madalena is that he um, he he really really knows what he wants to do. Yeah, Jack Della Madalena is not a fighter who wastes a lot of time letting his opponent get comfortable. No, so he is going to start pressuring. He is going to stick his jab in Hafez's face. I haven't looked. I have a feeling he has a reach advantage though. Hafez. No, uh, uh Madeline has got a 73 inch reach, it's pretty short. Hafez is unknown, unknown, I- yeah. Is Jack Della Madalena's reach short because he has weirdly long arms for his frame? Maybe his shoulders are really thin. I don't know. Who knows? 73 um, inches is no nothing special, no, it's not, yeah. Um. Although seventy three is not bad for five eleven, his, his arms are longer yeah. than he is tall. Yeah, it's true. Um, Let's see. So yeah, I mean they look long. I I, I don't know. The thing is, I'll, is, I'll go Ma- check Madalena, on and dig up Hafez's reach. Ma- the reason Madalena is so solid is that um, he is a obviously a super insistent pocket puncher. He puts mm-hmm. great combinations together, but he does not just stumble his way into the pocket he keeps people on the end of a really powerful jab that demands respect that is a great sort of control weapon for him to put people in a position where they can't escape from everything else and uh yeah he's just he's fighting a sort of much more disorganized lower output fighter who almost certainly is not comfortable being put under any kind of pressure on super short notice. So, okay, Hafez's reach is sixty nine inches. Okay. So it is shorter. 
Yeah. And I think even if it, even if they had reached parity, yeah. Jack Della Maddalena would feel like the longer fighter because he actually uses his reach to get to that mid range where he yeah. wants to do damage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I just, you know, what, what else do you expect? Dear listener? It's just a very straightforward pick for the good experienced borderline ranked fighter over the guy. Yeah. It's, it's one of those situations where, like I said, I think, I, I think Hafez will feel, he will feel like he can handle, hang, hang in for like the first, you know, he'll start an exchange and there'll be two or three strikes into it where he'll feel pretty good about it and what's going on and then you'll start to find that at the end of every one of his combinations there are yeah. two strikes coming back at him yeah and maybe for the couple minutes the first of the first round Hafez will feel reasonable like he's keeping pace and then it'll just start to become a drama yeah. sensation. I mean you, you can tell by Madalena's nose he's not immune to getting hit yeah um but Madalena is really comfortable in those exchanges. And the reason he's such an effective finisher um, is that he he actually gathers information even from like 50-50 exchanges. Yeah. He picks up on patterns both in his opponent's offense and in how they come back at him and looks to add the next layer on or interrupt the the sort of habitual counter that they go to. Well, and he's like, you know, if we're talking like a lesson from last week with Jalen Turner and Dan Hooker. Yeah. They're for most fighters, even very solid, very powerful, very fast, very fighters with very good form on their punches. For most MMA fighters. There is a point where they get lost if an exchange extends yes. long enough yes they they find that they no longer know what the next step in the pattern is what what you know it's oh i know if i throw this one two and i slip like this i'll be in position for this and i have to watch for this and then you get in three and four and five strikes into an exchange and suddenly it's like, okay, no, I don't know where my body is, and I yeah. don't know where their body is anymore. These these are the limits of like understanding things like intellectually, yeah, and why experience and drilling are so important. Because, yeah, to in order to navigate a really really long sequence, you have to be flowing. You have yeah. to just be feeling, and the reactions are so hardwired in that you don't have to think of what might be coming next. You just sense it and you're already reacting by the time you've realized you've sensed it. Yep. And that's um, where, that's where Madalena really catches people out. It's like, you see, and you'll, yes. you'll see him in some 50, 50 stages. Like, okay, what's so special about this? And then you see him in like a five or six strike exchange yeah. where he knows exactly what he wants to do and put together next. And his opponent has no idea what's coming at them anymore. Yep. And, you know, it's a hard place to be. It, it is. It takes a lot of work to get to that point mm -hmm. as a striker. But it, it's beautiful to watch when it all comes together. Because oh, yeah, it is. It is when it becomes an actual, you know, it, it's the science behind. It's the sweet science idea behind yeah. the strike. Yeah. Jack Della Madalena brings um, to MMA what you got uh, a little bit of what you got out of like um, Robbie Lawler. Like, yeah, something you get in boxing. People who yep. are 
hanging in what look like dangerous exchanges and making them look somehow like organized and controlled. Yeah, you you, you get you start to get those little edges of the James Tony idea where you're just like, yeah, how does he know where he is in this? Like, yeah, and don't make the mistake of thinking we're directly comparing him to no. James Tony, but James Tony to me is the ultimate example of yeah, that it, kind it's of the. I, I just want to make some give somebody an idea, like if they want to. I, I totally get what you're what saying. What this yeah. is, ta- what we're talking about, and what this looks like at its zenith. Yes, you watch some old James Tony fights, and you're just like, yeah. How do you keep track of all that? Yeah, go go watch James Tony Vasily Jirov and explain why he's like, even when he's getting hit, he's somehow not surprised and is always somehow connecting to like a new position or a new counter or escaping from the corner or whatever. Yeah, uh, it's just it is a nonstop flow chart that does not have to be thought about at any moment. It just comes from experience and skill training. It's insanely difficult. Like it's just, yeah. you know, you you get pretty. You don't have to get. You don't have to spar that much or get that much into uh, combat sports work and combat. You know, boxing with people and stuff like that. I know you and I have both done some, but um, you don't have to get that far before you realize that, like, you you step in and you're like, oh, I'm gonna like trade some punches with somebody, and you're very quickly like, wait, I had no idea what hit me or why. Yeah. I've actually been boxing again on a weekly basis with my little sister's boyfriend. <laughs> so I've, I've been thinking about these things a lot more. It's, it's nice yeah. to uh, to once more feel like a slight practical uh, understanding of like what exchanges feel like. Yep. And yeah. Um, yeah. You, you step in, you're like, oh, yeah, I got the one, too. And then you get hit by something you're like, wait. Yep. Where? What? It takes a long time to be able to continually tack new ideas onto the end. Uh, of the idea you came in with, you entered yeah. the exchange with, and then to keep that chain going, uh, you have to, again, get to a point where you are not actually thinking about it. These things just come automatically when you you feel that the position is compromised in a specific way. Yeah. Well, anyway, as you can see, we are uh, we are set to be longtime stands of Jack Della Maddalena because we How could you not be? Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. It's just we 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 can talk about this kind of stuff nonstop. Let's see, are there? Yeah, there is. An, books have just opened on this fight. Right. Madalena opened at minus four seventy eight. He's currently at minus four ninety three. Hafez opened at plus three eighty. He's currently plus three ninety. Jump on it while it's hot. I mean, by the time <laughs> I say this, it's going to be you know six or seven hundred. And yeah. it'll be far too late. But yeah, I'm almost surprised they're they're only that wide. I mean, I yeah. odds should never get wider than that. Basically, I've said this yeah. a, a million times, but uh, I get it. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout: Gennaro Valdez, Evan Elder, and is this the coin flip fight of the card? The true like. Yeah. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out what there is that will separate these two men. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, Hennaro Valdez had that completely insane fight with Matt Frivola, mm-hmm. uh, where it was just like, oh, this man has invited me to brawl. Absolutely, yes, that's all I do. Yep. And then he had that fight with still my least favorite fighter to watch <laughs> with Natan Levy. I just don't like his style. Um, and, uh, the fights like that are exactly why, because I look at it and I'm like, God, Levy's so weird and 
janky and like there's nothing connecting these ideas and Valdez just had no idea how to actually close the gap on him how mm-hmm. to set anything up uh just wild overswinging from really far away that's his game and just charging in mm-hmm. um and yeah i mean uh evan elder will let him have moments of that almost certainly but Evan Elder is a little more concerned with keeping distance from people. Yeah, Elder has. Uh, Elder wants to have a very complete MMA game. Yeah, and I don't think he started with any tools at all. Um, yeah. and so he's been just sort of piecemeal building one as he goes, and you know, it's not terrible, but it's not. There's no real, you don't ever, I, I don't feel like there's any point where you see of an elder and if I were like, oh yeah, that's where he's comfortable. Right. Yeah, he's, he, he has a, um, he at least has an interest in like having a good fight. Yeah. <laughs> Valdez just wants to slug it out with people. Yeah. Um, but because of that, it almost makes you lean for a guy like Valdez here because for, for all that he wants to be more controlled. Elder is not going to be able to stop somebody who just insists on charging in. Mm-hmm. That being said, the thing against in, against Levy is that Valdez almost is so raw technically, he almost didn't know how to insist on having exchanges. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was like, mm-hmm. he found himself stuck at range. He's not like such a tough guy that he was immune to feeling uncomfortable. And he did not know how to set up a step forward. He didn't know how to feint. He didn't have a jab. He didn't know how to sidestep to come in on an angle or force Levy to adjust his feet. He just squared up from nine feet away and tried to fall in throwing punches. Yeah. Um, He's a really, really messy fighter. Elder, he's going to get a slugfest out of Elder at points. But I'm kind of leaning Elder because... I, I don't know that Elder has to have that fight with him the whole time. And Elder will absolutely go to other phases. Yeah. Elder will hit a takedown. And Valdez is going to crash into clinches. And Valdez is just super messy everywhere. And Elder's a pretty good athlete, too, I think, compared to Yeah, I think, like I say, I, I think the big thing for Elder is really that he just fights like a guy who he started in MMA. He's a good athlete. Right. He's yeah. got all the piece you know he's he's learning to do all the things it's just when you don't have that strong skill base then guys can take you know fighters can take you to to school anywhere on the right night yeah so i think what likely happens here is that we get a few messy exchanges but elder um wins likely by being able to go to the wrestling and winning scrambles and then the concern is that uh, Elder had a pretty crazy fight with Preston Parsons in which he gassed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was doing all right. And then he he really, really gassed by the end. And that is absolutely where Valdez can crush him. Um, I don't know. I'm still going to take Elder. Valdez is just such a mess. Uh, I think any improvement at all would carry Elder really far in a matchup like this. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's it should be easy to get to like top position because Valdez is going to come in with uh, no balance at all and just be ripe for the t- ripe for the uh, plucking. 
Yeah, I mean, it does definitely help that uh, Elder is now he's training. He's part timing at Killcliffe. Mm-hmm. So I at least expect the you know the the broad sweeps of his game to continue improving. Sure. Uh, it does also seem like he grew up as I expected in an MMA gym with like his own uh, being like basically training him, him, you know, with his own dad and been uh, doing everything himself to learn his basics, which is why his game is so wonky and shallow. Should be good with hoofed though. The guy's already used to learning from dad. Yeah, it's true. He's used to, <laughs> Come to having the looming, the looming disappointed father figure. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So right at home. Oh, that's good news because I, I do think Elder has some potential. He just doesn't really have a uh, an organized game as of yet. Yeah. That should be good for him at that camp. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'll pick Elder. It really is a case where Gennaro Valdez is just so raw yeah, and such a brawler that Elver, Elder should be able to take your sort of traditional wonky MMA native game and turn it into doing, enough, doing a little bit of everything, hitting takedowns, hitting, getting to advantageous grappling positions and things like yeah. that. To not That's what that get, game is designed to do, right? Like a little, yeah, bit exactly. of, a little bit of everything. This is kind of a good, uh, it seems like a good situation for that. Yeah. Agreed. Valdez probably just doesn't have the technical depth anywhere to take Elder out of being able to do everything. Yeah, Valdez basically has to knock you out. And Mm -hmm. usually, even though I say uh, Elder gassing, he might have chances late, Valdez has only ever knocked people out pretty quickly. Oh, sorry, he has a third-round TKO over uh, Hilario Portales. Otherwise, it's like all first finishes, first round yeah. or early second round finishes. Yeah, and it should also be noted too that uh, Evan Elder, as much as he's had like he looked overmatched against Nadim Sadikov and Preston Parsons, he didn't actually get knocked out in either of those fights. No, no, he got he, stopped on cuts, which he was very upset against Sadikov. Yeah, and it was a Parsons gnarly cut, was but just he, a really tough like. Yeah, scramble filled back and forth. Yeah, you know, he's he seems to have the durability. He's never been knocked yeah. out. So. Also, the Sadika fight, he wasn't gassed in that third round. Yeah, he wanted to keep going. He was ready. He just got his eyebrow uh, laid open. But uh, yeah. I think it really was all the scrambling against Parsons that took it out of him. Yeah, which I don't think Valdez can do. Right. Exactly. All right. Odds on the bout. Valdez is the underdog here. Opened at plus 233, currently plus 238. Elder opened at minus 272, currently minus 278. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Tyson Nam, Azat Moxham. Azat Moxham is a really cool name. Yeah. Azat Moxham. Yeah. Think of like Maxim, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, Those Kazakhs have badass names, dude. <laughs> they do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, who, like... So the question here really is just, 
will the will the wheels fall off of Tyson Nam entirely at some point? Because he has, I mean, yes, but is at this point is the question, right? Yeah, because he has a he has a game that is not made for flyweight. No, and it will. And he's you know, thirty nine years old. He's thirty nine years old with a game that is not made for this division at all. At what point do? And he's always lost a lot because it's not made for this division at all. It's you know being a slow paced pressure fighter, yeah. who who a slow paced pressure counter fighter, is just not made for a division full of super fast guys that scramble all the time. So he's always lost a lot. I mean, really, for any division, he's just not a round winner. Yeah, he's not a round winner. He but either it's, it's wins the, thing, the fight or he loses all the rounds. You know, you it, you put you put his game at heavyweight and light heavyweight. Yeah, it makes and no sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. Even even down as low as middleweight. You put it below middleweight, and that's where you start to think, like, okay, sure. yeah, sure, Connor got Connor McGregor got away with this style of game. Uh, but it's tough it's a tough road for anyone, even right. Connor, frankly. Yes. You know. It looks particularly out of place at flyweight. Yeah. But but it is the just fundamentally Tyson Am does not have any ability or apparent interest in winning moment to moment. Yeah. He wants to knock people out. And you put him in against us at Maxim and Maxim's game is, you know, it's a regional flyweight game as, as well. It's mm-hmm. not, uh, it's not tuned to volume. Mm-hmm. It's a very, it's not even tuned to pressure, frankly. I mean, we've been <laughs> saying this so much. I think we got to reevaluate what a flyweight style even is. Yeah, it's changing as more and more fighters uh, get in. As UFC finds more guys from around the world who are interested in fighting and can fight at flyweight, but aren't the short little, you know, speed demons that typically, because, you know, you're getting guys who are like regularly 5'8", 5'9", all of that. Mm -hmm. And we're getting a lot more basically we're just getting a lot more bantam weights that cut to fly weight pretty much and it's changing what the uh the meta of the division is yeah They're, that 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 co-main event last weekend that was a flyweight fight yeah that's what you expect traditionally out of this division but yeah it's weird tyson am at 39 years old no longer looks quite so out of place at 125 as he used to he's a big yeah slow low output fighter and there's quite a few of those now yeah i mean you see a lot more of the like tatsuro tyra your chires yeah kind of fights or uh you know yeah that kind of thing so <sighs> that's you know but that's really why i'm kind of lean, leading with the is tyson are the wheels just gonna fall off i mean and they they're not always on that well anyway. Like I say, he's 21 and 13. It's not like he's just been out there winning every fight he gets in. Sure, got knocked out in his last fight. Yeah. But Azat Maxim does see it, it seems like the perfect fight for Tyson Nam to show up and be yeah. Tyson Nam. And as much as he lost his last fight, he still looked like Tyson Nam. Yeah. He just was, got clipped. He didn't look bad. Yeah, and it was it was Bruno Souza uh Silva. Or Silva, Bruno Silva bringing mm-hmm a flyweight game to Tyson Nam that, you know, kept throwing him off being like, Oh yeah, here's a back fist and a combo behind it. And, you know, yeah. here's 
what do you are you are you really gonna beat me taking one chance in four yeah. if I'm just gonna keep throwing bombs at you? That that win was very much more a credit to Bruno Silva's game than um a sign of degradation for Nam, I think. Yeah. So you've got a slow paced pick your spots, not pressure based fighter in Azat Maxim, and he looks sharp when he decides to throw. But uh, it's really a, you know, I'm watching you for 30 seconds out at range and then I've made my decision or you stepped in and I've, I'm throwing my counter combo for Moxham. Mm-hmm. And... <sighs> I mean, I'm taking Nam. Yeah. Or, or, or Nam. I think I always pronounce it wrong. I, I'm taking Nam. I, just, I think he still looks fine. He's going to put methodical pressure on Maxim. One strike at a time isn't going to surprise him. Yeah. He's going to try to bomb him out. I think you either got to outpace him. Even then, it doesn't always work. Like, Nam yeah. has beaten guys who outwork him by knocking them out late many yep. times. Um, I think he still looked like a, the same sturdy, powerful confident, comfortable fighter in his last fight. He just got clipped. It's um, not like a thing where I'm taking... Yeah, my my hesitation is really just that, like... Yeah. Hmm. I... I'll take Tyson Nam, too. I want him to win, but... I worry. Guys like Moxham... They have a habit of like showing up and just suddenly looking like way better, you know? Sure. Sure. That's really what it is. Also, his t- his topology picture keeps really giving me second to- second thoughts mm-hmm. heavily. Because look at those hands. I thought I had the exact same thought. This dude has a fighter's hands. Like they don't yeah. even look like this is a guy who does not care about like punching with the two knuckles, the four knuckles, which you often see are really blown up on boxers. This dude hits people with blocks. Yeah. His hands are square. <laughs> they are. <laughs> look like he has been doing like he may very well have come up doing like them. What's it called? The Maui Taka or something. Mm. The that like rope bound board that Kyokushin fighters punch. Yeah, it looks just, like traditional martial arts. Like it's like he has conditioned his knuckles deliberately. Yeah, <laughs> his hands look like the the symbolic fists on those two guys' shirts on either side of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boxes, they really do. There's <laughs> something about that. like watching him too. Like you'll see in his fights, he's not throwing a lot. But he picks his spots, and when he hits people, it it looks like it hurts. Yeah, no doubt. I, yeah, it's just a prove it matchup for me. I'm 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 not sold on him yet. Yeah, his, his game doesn't look super functional. Tyson Am's game is not functional, but um, it, or shouldn't be functional. But it more than often is. Yeah, he's a very proven quantity to me. So. Yeah, all right. I'll stick with you and pick Tyson Nam here, but I, I got a feeling in my bones that Moxham's going to come up and shock people. In fact, mm. he's a huge favorite in this fight. Really? Yeah. You know what? <sighs> just who cares? Just do it. Yeah, I'll pick I'll pick Moxham. I'll <laughs> yeah. pick Moxham. Tyson Nam loses all the time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Maxim opened at plus 304. He's currently at plus 315. Or Nam opened at plus 304. He's currently at plus 315. Maxim opened at minus 366. He's currently at minus 382. I think this will look like a really good fight for Nam for quite a while, and that maybe he'll just get caught at some point because Maxim is fast, has some good form, and he's got those goddamn hands that just <laughs> they look like blocks. <laughs> All right. That brings us to a lightweight prelim bout. Carl Deaton III never has a topology picture looked less like a man named yeah, right. Carl Deaton III. Yeah, we were taken by that in his UFC debut. You're like, oh, Carl Deaton, what a nerd. Who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, Carl Deaton the third, the Anishinaabe kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, does not scan at all. Yeah, Carl Deaton the third taking on Alex Munoz, and um, man, this is a th- this is a true meeting of the opposite ends of the spectrum of what MMA brings together. Hmm. Because on the on the one side you've got a guy who trains out in the middle of nowhere, he's fighting on the regional scene forever. Yeah, has built this really regional, scrappy MMA game built on boxing tech, like trying to turn himself into a technical boxer mm-hmm. who can beat people with his punching inside with combinations with picking, you know, picking his shots, target selection, all that in a very narrow skill set. Deaton is just like, I am going to box in the pocket with you. That is all I'm going to try to do. Right. And on the other side, you've got a Chad out here training at one of MMA's biggest camps. Yep who got to the UFC in like five fights and rarely ever fights and is just has a game that should totally work and has should have all the tools and is just struggling to make it count in MMA because he's just because he hasn't fought enough, really. He just doesn't have a ton of experience. He clearly has potential. Yeah, but um, he's 33 but yeah. now, and he has he doesn't he hasn't fought enough, and he looks like a guy who doesn't fight enough. And yeah, it really, like I say, it's this very opposite end of the spectrum where you have like the uber athlete who has a broad game from a huge camp and has a deep wrestling skill set who doesn't fight enough, and you have the regional journeyman who fights all the time and has put himself into this very limited scope where, because he's not a great athlete, he can't go out there and do everything. I think it's probably the smartest thing that Deaton could do is to have this really singularly limited game where it's like, I'm going to be really good at something, and you're going to have to deal with me there. And if you can... I'm probably going to lose, but mm-hmm. if you can't, I've given myself the best chance I can at winning. Mm-hmm. Reminds me a lot of Jesse Ronson in that way. So, yeah. I don't, that means uh, you like him. You love Jesse Ronson. 
Yeah, I, I I will root for Carl Deaton because yeah. no, I kind of like his game too. Yeah, it's 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 clearly um, not very broad, and it's not as deep as it should be. No, um, it doesn't have like a myriad of setups and ways of closing the distance to get into his effective range. No, um, he can definitely be because he needs to have his feet planted. And when he has his feet planted, he's a shockingly fast-handed puncher. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he can get, like, outmaneuvered for long stretches of the fight because he just kind of has to inch up on people, inch up on them, and continually reset when they sidestep him. Yeah. Um, also but, reminds yeah. me of, um, oh, God, what was the, damn it, this is not helpful that I just immediately forgot. Um, oh, Tucker Lutz beat him. That, that'll help. He's right there. Kevin Aguilar. Mm. Two mm-hmm. in that way. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah, but when you get him into those particular moments, you you see exactly what he's trying to do. He, he yeah. puts combinations together. He's got a really nice left hook. Yeah, um, he's got he's a very clearly somebody who has practiced his craft a lot. For sure. Yeah, it just doesn't really seem like he's been guided or made to expand by like a good coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then I took one look at Alex Munoz's name, and I was like, why is this familiar? Who's Alex Munoz? I scouted for this dude. Yeah. But it's just been so long since that Luis Pena fight. Yeah. That I uh, I really forgot who he was. And damn his coach, by the way, for making me watch so so much Luis Pena. Yeah. Um, One of the most, wow, you should be better than this fighters of all time. Yeah. The joke of nonviolent Bob Ross worked a lot better before he was like convicted of like rape or whatever it was. No, it was it was it was domestic uh, okay. assault, uh, physical yeah. assault, not sexual assault. Well, yeah. good good for you, Luis. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, I think you you nailed it with Munoz as well. Like, clearly, a dude with lots of physical potential. But definitely feels like somebody who would have been a lot better had he gotten into MMA way earlier. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a relative late comer. And I mean, he also he has not been matched easily. So it's a little harder to evaluate because uh, the guy came into the UFC, what, four and oh, five, Mm -hmm. five and oh or something like that. And uh, immediately fought Nasrat Hawkprost in which he absolutely demonstrated his toughness. Yeah. But didn't have almost a single moment of success. He just, which was always going to happen. Like that's way too big a step up against way too violent an opponent. Who's like on your tier athletically as well. Yeah. Um, and he just beat him up and it was all Munoz could do to just kind of hang tough and credit to him. Like he did hang tough and he kept going for it. Mm-hmm. He just didn't have the skills. Yeah. And uh, and then a much closer, duller fight against Luis Pena, where again I think it's it was always awkward for you know normal sized, uh, normal sized lightweights to fight Luis Pena. Yep, Munoz looked fine, but just didn't quite do enough to get it done. Yeah, and now his super long layoff. It's hard to know has he developed at all. And then I, I also wonder. Because my natural instinct in a matchup like this is to think, well, he could just out-wrestle Carl Deaton. Yeah, I mean, I expect him to. I'm thinking I'm going to pick Munoz just for that. Right, but is he a control wrestler or is he a team alpha male fighter? Yeah. Because none of those dudes hold anyone down, ever. 
And that would be a great way to win. That's exactly how Joe Selecki beat Carl Deaton the third. Yeah. But um, it's not it's a thing that any of the alpha male fighters do routinely, if ever. Yeah. I mean, he got uh, four takedowns on Luis Pena for a total of two minutes and 21 seconds of control. Right. And yeah. he got one takedown on Nazrat Hakparast for a total of 54 seconds of control. He got four takedowns on Nick Newell, but they don't have a control staff for that. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, granted, you know, like when, when he was getting Pena down, as I recall, it was Pena losing, using his weirdly long limbs to mm-hmm. actually force his way to the feet. It wasn't just like he gave up on the takedowns. Yeah. Probably against Deaton. It's a lot easier to just accidentally rack up control time because I just yeah. don't think he's a good grappler. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would probably be tempted to pick Deaton here if he was like higher output. Yeah, because I if I don't trust Munoz to hold him down, then um, I, I certainly think Deaton's going to land some really clean shots on him. Uh-huh. But Deaton just is too. He's either too picky or I think more likely he just sort of lacks the. He doesn't have the, the speed to really like get to people with the, the offense he wants. to. He doesn't have deliver. the foot speed, but he's also yeah. just not the kind of fighter who like, say, keeps a jab in his opponent's face. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't like enforce his range really actively and consistently. He just kind of wants to edge his way in and then feel that moment and nail you. And it's, that's why his game is so narrow uh-huh. like beyond just that he's only a boxer even it within boxing it's a very narrow kind of effectiveness yeah odds on the bout Munoz is the favorite here opened at minus 132 currently down at minus 166 Deaton opened at plus 119 is currently at plus 148 yeah, I'm not really surprised. I mean, Deaton is the prototype of regional guy who gets a fight or two in the UFC and just doesn't have the tools to cut it there. Right. And Munoz is much more of the fighters that tend to hang around at this level, which are guys coming out of big camps with great athletic pedigrees mm-hmm. who, you know, have a broad game capable of doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. Just a shame that he's had a good camp and he's got the wrestling game, and yet he looks a little too close to, like, Evan Elder. Yeah. He just doesn't have the experience. Well, the weird thing is that he has been around. He tried to take his first pro fight in 2014, huh? ended yeah. up having to wait until 2015, so he's been around the game for a long time. I wonder if he it's just gets just, injured a lot or... I, th- I think he might actually be a coach with Alpha Male, like a wrestling... Maybe they're wrestling coach, or maybe, yeah. like does a lot of coaching again yeah, maybe it's just not his like first gig yeah being a fighter he just you know does it now Where and then. He, he do, yeah he takes some fights every now and then like uh what was the guy's name johnny eduardo yeah the uh striking coach at uh novu niao who fought like once every five years yeah he is he is a coach uh at okay. team alpha male all right. Well, so, maybe he just, yeah, that's what he wants to spend most of his time doing. And then he gets a fight every now and then to stay sharp. Who knows? Yep. So that is what it is. He's, he just, you know, 
He's a guy who spends who's got his his life mostly organized around coaching. Every now and then, he takes a fight. Okay. Either way, I'm still going to pick him. I just called him too limited. Yeah. All right. That brings us to our final fight on the card. Speaking of fighters I haven't seen in ages. Yeah, Ashley Evan Smith, Eileen Perez. Things have. I think by all sounds of it, not been going Evan Smith's way. She mm-hmm. got suspended 14 months by USADA. So that's what's been holding her career back for the last year and a half. Uh, but she had a bunch of injuries before that. And uh just some, I think, some like mental going through some stuff mentally and emotionally, where she was really talking about having to go, uh, you know, through some hard times and deal with some things that she didn't. I don't think she made all that public, but it was just sort of like, sure, you know, in a rough place for whatever yep. reason. Whatever you want to, whatever you mark it down to, ch- chalk it down to, she has not fought in three years and has not fought much in the last six years. Mm-hmm. And you know, a, a, a significantly longer layoff than Munoz's. Yeah. And uh, when she has been fighting, she has looked terrible. Yep. Those fight that fight she had with Norma Dumont, I believe, maybe the Andrea Lee one too, but she looked yeah. like she did not want to be there at all. I think it was especially the Dumont fight where mm-hmm. it just looked. She started getting hit a little, and it was just you could see her body language just sag totally. Yeah. I'm not going to pick her against Eileen Perez. Nope. That's all there is to it. Perez, um, she's got a little bit of the second coming of Betch Cohea vibe to her. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of uh, sass. It's not, it's not just the tapology photo that makes you think that? No, it's not just the tapology That's photo. That's a Betch Cohea-ass photo, though, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> but she's also got, like... You know, she's got that that energy in the cage where you're like, she's yeah. hyped, yeah. she's going after it, she is tiny, <laughs> and she can actually do some functional things, but it's mixed with a bunch of stuff that she does really not functionally at all. Yeah. I am she's totally, tired. I am hoping that she improves just enough strategically that I can really root for her in the same way I rooted for Betch. Yeah. Because that is, was that was one of the most fun, honest fandoms to have of just like, yeah. Rooting for this absolutely not built to be a fighter at all fighter, just trying their absolute hardest all the time. Yeah. And what the, what the, the subtext of this is that these, these sharper fans will have picked up on is that Zane has a thing for thighs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'll just state that. A, a man after my own heart. Um, yeah, but no, the, but the thing with Betch is that she wasn't just a try hard. She was clever. She was. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm hoping that Perez gets enough strategic development over time to be clever. Yeah, she's not there yet. No, 
she's she's very messy but yeah she's got the try hard thing down already and uh, yeah really this is more of just a not trusting ashley evan smith pick Paris looks like she wants to fight. She uh-huh. looks like she really wants to fight a lot. Absolutely, yeah. And Evan Smith looks like a person who has gotten to a point in their life where they realize that fighting is what makes them the most money they could ever hope to make, but that, that she otherwise absolutely loathes it. Mm-hmm. And that is a sad place to see. It, it is, yeah. No, not, not even joking at all, yeah. If this was... um a more trustworthy version of Ashley Evan Smith. I, I, I would be a, uh, at least a somewhat different pick mm-hmm. because like, you know, she used to have some semblance of a wrestling game. Her striking was improving for a little minute there as well. She was getting more aggressive with her hands and putting more combinations together. But, um, yeah, I mean, per- Perez is in there like getting head and arm thrown by Stephanie Egger, but then just like bulldog winning the scramble and like ending up on top. And she's feisty. She's really scrappy. Yep. And, uh, you don't want to be like depressed having to fight somebody who's excited and enjoying the violence. Yeah. Evan Smith is the underdog opened at plus plus one seventeen. currently up at plus one seventy eight. Perez, the favorite, opened at minus 129, currently down at minus 201. Shouldn't get way longer than that. Perez is still an, a mess and, uh, you know, a pretty undersized bantamweight. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's hard to see Evan Smith, like, coming back from three years away when her last performances were already just not good at all. Yeah. For those of you subscribing to our Substack, you can find both of us right back here in just a moment with some bonus content. Uh, yeah, talking about UFC 290. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> to access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.